This is a story from Sweden, and it's not a folk tale because it was written in the early 20th century by a woman called Helena Nyblom, but I think it's a very beautiful story, and I think it finds a place here quite nicely. It's called The Queen's Necklace. Now, there was once a king who ruled a vast kingdom, and he was horrible. He was thoroughly evil, nasty, vile man. He had no good points about him at all. Now, he ruled in a court where all the servants had to stand stock still by the side of the wall, all watching the throne to see what mood the king was in that day, and they had to react to that. They had to anticipate anything that he wanted. No, he would stand there, staring at them. And they just had to stand completely still. And if they didn't, oh, he was mad. But then some days he would say, Hi-ho, let us be merry. And then they all had to make jokes and laugh and things like that. But if one of them made a joke that the king didn't like or that the king didn't understand because he was not a very bright man. Then he would roll his eyes and stroke his beard, and then the man who had caused offence would know that he was in big trouble. Now, the king had been married. He had had a queen, and they had children as well. But the queen and the children had all died. People thought that they died of sheer terror because the king was so horrible. Well, he was an old man now, with no teeth. And he sat there and he started to think, you know, it's a bit dull around here. I think I should take a wife again. And so he looked out across all the little kingdoms that he ruled, because he had a lot of vassal kings who ruled a part of the kingdom for him. And he looked at all these vassal kings, and many of them had daughters, but one of them had a daughter who was extremely beautiful. Her name was Blanziflor. And she was only 17 years old and very, very beautiful. And the old king, old enough to be a grandfather, maybe even great-grandfather, thought to himself, you know, she is very, very beautiful, this Blanziflor. She is very beautiful and she is meek and gentle. She will make a perfect wife for me. I think she would be an excellent wife. He never stopped to wonder whether or not he would be an excellent husband for her. But he was so full of himself that he thought that she would be grateful to marry the king. Well, Blancy Flower was sitting happily in her father's castle one day when her father, the sub-king, came up to her, the vassal king of the, of the great tyrant, and he was looking sad, and he said, My darling daughter, the high king 
has sent a message saying that he wants you for his wife. Him, she said. Oh, he's so old and ugly and horrible. I don't want to marry him. I'd, I'd rather die. I'd, I'd rather sit on a rock and spin wool for a living than marry him. My dear, he said, I'm not happy about this either, you know. But we can't refuse the king. If we did, he would come marching in here with an army. And he would hang me and your mother and all the family. They would all be put to death. And there would be great bloodshed in the land. And then he would carry you away anyway. Well, when the girl heard that, the tears welled up in her eyes. She hung her head. And then she nodded slightly and said, Very well. I will marry him for your sake and for mother's sake, and for the family, and for the land here, but not for the sake of the king. So she was taken to the great royal palace, and there the old king was waiting for her, and he was delighted, because of course she was so young and beautiful. Oh, yes, she would look wonderful sitting next to him on a throne, he thought. Now, on their wedding day, he gave her a necklace of pearls. Then they were absolutely beautiful, gleaming away, lovely, lovely pearls. These are very exotic pearls, he said, that comes from the east. There are 365 of them. It's one for every day of the year, he says, although one of them is a bit small and crooked. But I want you to wear these. I have strung them myself, he said, with a silken thread. With my own royal hands I did that. I want you to wear them at all time. But, he said, and the look in his eyes made the poor girl shudder. If you are to lose this necklace, he says, then you will know my wrath. You will not want to look into my eyes and tell me that. And then he started rolling his eyes horribly like he did when he was mad. Oh, the poor girl. The cold shivers ran up her spine and she felt sick looking at him, this ugly, horrible old man. Well, she had to take care of him and do anything that he wanted. And what he ordered her to do every day was to go up to his bedchamber with a golden dish containing porridge made with cream. And she had to spoon-feed him the porridge like a baby. He insisted upon it. And so she would feed this to the horrible, hideous old toothless man. And then, after that, he would want to play chess. But the trouble was, he wasn't very good at playing chess. But he thought he was brilliant, because, you see, he'd never lost a game. That's because nobody was stupid enough to win. Nobody was stupid enough to beat him, because they knew that they would end up thrown into a dungeon. Well, 
poor Lancy Flor would sit there with her cheek on her hand, staring at the board, looking as though she was trying to figure out a way how to win the game, when in reality what she was thinking is, how can I lose this game as quickly as possible, get it over with? And she deliberately made mistakes, and she let the king win, and then the king would clap his hands and said, oh, you are a foolish girl, you're as silly as a goose. Why, if you had only done that, then you may have won the game, or if you had done this, you wouldn't have lost. And then he would take great delight in explaining to her all the things that she'd done wrong, without realizing that she had done them wrong on purpose, and she could have beaten him long before had she wanted to. But it was best to keep the peace. Now, when they would sit at the royal table, the king was so proud he would not have anyone else sit at the table with him or the queen. So the two of them had a table set in front of their thrones, and they would eat all the finest foods, although the queen hardly ate anything at all, because she was so terrified of the king of doing anything that would displease him that she hardly ate. She sat there quietly. Now, her life was misery, and the only time that she could leave the castle was to go to the church. But when she left the castle, she wasn't allowed to go by herself. She had to have a great retinue with her, lots of knights, and she had a page boy as well, who was about the same age as her, and he was a very handsome young man, and he was very devoted to her. He would hold the, the, ta- the train of her dress. She loved to wear sky-blue dresses, on which were embroidered golden crowns, and the page boy would lift up the hem of the dress and and carry it. Now, he was dressed in sky blue as well, the same as his mistress, and he would sleep outside her bedroom door at night with a drawn sword in front of him to protect her and defend her from any would-be attackers. But this day they went to the church, which was the only place that she was allowed to go without the king. He never went. And she was on her knees in front of the altar, praying, praying for deliverance, to be saved from this horrible old man, and that her family would be okay, that they wouldn't suffer at all at the hands of this horrible tyrant. Now she looked up at the altar table of this church and the tears came to her eyes and they dropped onto the floor because she saw how poor it was. The candlesticks there were made of pewter and the cloth that spread over the altar table was of velvet but it was all faded and patched in places. And she thought to herself, I drink wine from golden goblets, 
and silver candlesticks light my table, and here the altar in the church is so poor. It's, it's terrible. It's not right. And the tears fell. Now the queen had nothing because the king gave her nothing. He thought that she had everything she needed. So she never had any money. He was also too mean to give money. And he taxed people to the hilt. So he had plenty of money, but none of it left the royal treasury. Every penny was a prisoner. Well, the queen, down on her knees, seeing how poor the church was, took off the necklace, and she slipped seven of the largest pearls from the silken thread, and she laid them on the altar as an offering to the church. And then she pushed all the other pearls a bit further forward, and then she went back to the castle. Now, in order to conceal what she'd done so that the king couldn't see that she had actually uh, taken any pearls from the necklace, she had her hair combed down, and she had a knot made in her hair that was at the back of her neck. And at the royal table that night, as they were eating, the king looked at her and said, What's this with your hair? What have you done that for? Well, she said, A maiden wears her hair in a braid on top of her head, but I am a queen, and I wear a royal crown, so I should have my hair down at the back, at my shoulders. And the king laughed and said, Yes, it is most seemly. It makes you look even more beautiful, he said. Well, the queen had heard many stories about the king, how evil he was, and how he would have people cast into a dungeon at the slightest thing. Now, one night she was lying in her bed, and she could hear outside in the distance the sound of sobbing, crying and lamentation as the poor wept because they were so miserable. It was winter. It was cold. And she thought, there are children out there going through the snow and barefoot. And yet I lie here in a bed with silken pillows and sheets. Well... The lamentation went on all night, but at dawn when she woke, she heard another sound, a fluttering and tapping sound. She looked at her window, and there was a little bird. It was fluttering against the window and tapping against the pane with its beak, and another one joined it, and another one. And it was obvious that these poor little birds were hungry. They were starving, and they were hoping that they might get something to eat, but of course she had nothing to give them. So <clears throat> that evening, when they were eating the royal meal, the queen had begged the king 
to allow her to sweep any crumbs from the table, to put in a little basket and to put outside her window for the birds. Well, the king thought that this was a big thing to ask, even though it was only crumbs from his table. But he was so mean, he thought that this was a big ask. But seems the queen had never asked for anything else. Then he thought, mm, okay, I'll allow that. But what the queen did was she would sit there with a piece of bread in her fingers and she would talk to the king and she would tell him stories. And as she did that, she would crumble the bread into crumbs all over the table. But she kept the king so entertained that he never noticed what she was doing. And she always tried to hide it from him as best as she could. And then, when the meal was finished, she would signal to her page boy to sweep up all the crumbs into the basket. And then he carried it up the stairs, holding a candle in front of him, leading the queen to her bedchamber. And then the basket was put outside on the windowsill, and the birds came to feed from it. And every meal that she had, she always crumbled bread between her fingers so that the birds always had something to eat. Now, there was one day that she opened the window and she took the basket in to refill it with crumbs when she noticed something lying in the bottom of it. There was something white. She picked it up and it was a piece of paper wrapped around a small stone and someone had thrown it up at the window and it had landed in the basket she opened it and read it and it said your majesty who pities the birds of the air that are hungry have pity of the children of the earth who are starving it was a message from a widow woman who lived in the forest nearby and had many children and nothing to feed them with and she was hungry, and they were hungry, and she appealed to the queen for help. But what could the queen do? She had no money, she had nothing, except the pearl necklace. Now, that day, the page was again holding the train of her dress, when the queen bent down to adjust the hem of it, and as she did so, she slipped a bit of paper, into the page's hand. Later, when he was alone, he read it, and it gave him instructions to take a pearl which she had wrapped up in the paper to the widow woman in the forest. She gave him directions as to how to find the place. And he slipped out of the castle, and he went and he delivered the pearl to the woman, who could then sell it and buy food for her children. Well, once she had done that, the floodgates were open, and at night there would be the tap, tap, tap of little stones hitting the window panes and falling into the baskets, and there would be pleas from people who were hungry, who were desperate, and who had no means of support, people who had been bled dry by the taxes that the king had ordered and were now dying of hunger because of it, while the king grew richer and richer and richer, and meaner and meaner and meaner. 
Now, she couldn't bear it, the poor dear. And whenever a story reached her that really touched her heart more than the others, then a pearl would be slipped from the necklace, and it would be given to the page, and it would be taken in secret to the Persian. Now, pearl after pearl after pearl was slipped off the queen's necklace, and eventually there were very few left. And as this happened, the queen had to keep adjusting her hair, combing it down loose over her shoulders, piling all the pearls down into the front where the king could see them. But it ended up that she only had seven pearls left on the necklace. And this was desperate. I have to keep these, she thought. I can't give any more away because the king will find out and my life will be in danger. But the pleas kept coming and some of them were so heartbreaking that the queen just couldn't resist having to slip another pearl from her necklace and another and another until... There were no more perils left. Even the small crooked one was gone. Well, what to do? The queen could not let the king see that she didn't have the pearl necklace on anymore. And so she combed her hair even further down over her face and she fastened it in front of her neck with a white rose. And the king was in a bad mood that day, and he stared at her, and he says, What's all this trickery and nonsense with your hair, woman? What's wrong, she said. I can barely see you, he says. I can only see the tip of your nose sticking out from that hair. Where? Why are you doing that? Does it displease you, my lord, she says. I'm only doing it to try to look nice for you. It does displease me, he says and he pulled her hair back. And when he did that, he saw that she wasn't wearing the necklace. Where is your pearl necklace, he said. The queen said, I decided not to wear it today. Well, you must wear it, he said. I insist it was my wedding gift to you. And he sent her ladies-in-waiting up to the room to search for the necklace. But... They came back, red in the face, and said, We can't find it, Your Majesty. We've searched everywhere in all the drawers and the boxes. We can't find it. The king was furious. He roared out in rage like a bull, and he shouted at the queen, What have you done with the necklace? <clears throat> the queen said nothing. Have you given it to someone? he asked. Who would I give it to, she said, with her eyes downcast. Then where is it, then? You must have given it away, haven't you? Silence. The queen said nothing. Well, lady, he said, you can be as quiet as you like. I know just the place where you can be quiet, a place that's nice and quiet. And if I find the man that you have given this necklace to, he said, he will die.
die the most horriblest death I can think of. And then he ordered for the queen to be taken down to the dungeon and cast into a cell there that was deep in the heart of the castle. Well, the poor queen sat there and wept. But what could she do? The king led the search. He had decided someone had stolen the necklace, and he searched the quarters of all the servants in the castle, but he never found it. And at last he came to the page's room. Now, the page was the son of a knight, and the knight was very proud of the fact that his son was the page for the queen. And he knew that he wore a sky-blue costume, the same as his mistress's dress. And so he had ordered a fine silk suit to be made for his son of sky-blue cloth. And on it he embroidered the queen's name, Blanziflower, in pearls. All along the front, the lovely swooping letters very ornate, all embroidered from pearls. Well, the page had only just received this from his father the previous day, and he hadn't even unpacked it yet. He knew that there was his father had sent him some clothing, but he had, hadn't seen them yet. Well, the king was searching the page's room, and he found a box in the corner of the room, and when he opened it, he found that costume. And there on the front was the queen's name, emblazoned and embroidered in pearls. Well, the king got down on his aged, crooked, clicking knees, and he counted the pearls. He counted each one. Three hundred and sixty Five, he said, the same number as the pearls on the queen's necklace. And here, here is even the small crooked one. I recognize them as well as I recognize my own face, he says, because I threaded them myself with my own royal hands, he said. Well, he ordered the page to be brought before him, and when the page came in, the king struck him across the face and said, you're a thief, you're a thief and a vile slave, he said. I am no thief, your majesty, he said. Then the queen's necklace, what happened to that? I do not know, your majesty, he said. Well, I have found a fine suit of clothes in your room in a box, and it has the queen's pearls embroidered onto it, 365, including the small crooked one. What do you have to say to that? I don't know anything about it, he said. My father sent me a new suit of clothes, but I haven't seen them yet. They are in the box in my room. You're a liar, he said. You're a liar and a thief, and you will hang tomorrow from the highest gallows. Take him away and throw him in the dungeon. So the page was taken downstairs and cast into the dungeon. Now, there they both were, in different dungeons, different parts of the castle. 
but both waiting to be executed. Because the king had decided that his queen, Blanciflor, would have her head chopped off the next day in front of everyone. He knew that everyone in the kingdom loved her. She was treated with such honour and respect, which he didn't get. So he was jealous anyway. So he decided that they, he would make their suffering even worse by making them watch her, their beloved queen, being beheaded. Now a lot of the knights in the castle felt sorry for the page boy. They didn't believe that he was a thief. They knew his father. He was a noble knight. And this young man would be the same one day too. And they pitied him. So that night they went to where his window of his cell was, which was overlooking the moat of the castle. And they threw a file in through the window. And the young page was able to cut his way through two of the bars and pull them out. And that was enough for him, because he was a slender young man, to be able to squeeze from between the, the bars that remained. And he chomped down into the arms of an old knight who was in a boat underneath the window waiting for him. And he was taken away in secret and sent back to the land where his father lived. But there was nothing they could do about the queen. She was on the inside of the castle. There was a window there, but it faced onto a courtyard. And there was nothing that they could do for her. Now, poor Blanciflower, she was in chains, fettered in her cell, weeping many a tear, and expecting herself to be beheaded the next day, and also to see her friend the page, who had cared so much for her, whose friendship she valued, hanging from a high gallows. And she went down on her knees and she prayed. She prayed to God for deliverance from this. She prayed that the innocent would be released. She was praying for the page, not herself. She felt that death would probably be better than the life that she had in the castle with that vile, evil tyrant of a king. Now as she prayed... A strange thing happened, because the wall of the cell melted away, and through it there flew a swallow, and in the swallow's beak there was a pearl. The queen sat down on her stone bench again, and the queen uh, and the swallow flew onto the queen's knee and dropped the pearl into her lap, and said, God has returned one of the tears that you shed in front of his holy altar in the church. Your tears were not shed in vain, for they have all been gathered together and returned to you in the likeness of a pearl. Well, another bird flew in that had a pearl, and another and another seven pearls were dropped into her lap. Big pearls, just exactly like the ones she'd left in the church. 
And then another bird flew in and said, This pearl, it said, dropping the pearl into her lap, is one of the tears that you shed for all the poor and suffering people in your kingdom. They were not shed in vain. They have been gathered, each one, and they will be returned to you as a pearl. And more and more birds flew in. There were swallows, there were sparrows, finches, doves, and they all carried in a pearl, which they dropped into the queen's lap. And eventually she had a big mound of pearls there in her lap, when a tiny little bird, who had a maimed wing, it was twisted and sore, and it flew with great difficulty. But it came in, brave little bird that it was, in all its pain, and it landed on her knee, and in its beak it had a small crooked pearl. And it dropped that into her lap and said, This is one of the tears that you shed for all the little birds who were hungry. And we didn't forget you either. We gathered all your tears and we return it to you now. And then the little bird flew out through the wall and then the wall became solid again became a cold, solid wall, but the sun rose at the same time, and the rays of the sun shone through the window of the cell, and it bathed the queen in beautiful golden light. Now the king came down to the dungeon, with all his guards with him, ready to take his beautiful young queen, Queen Blanzyflower, out to her death. He opened the door of the cell and he went in, and to his amazement he saw her sitting there, so beautiful and bathed in golden light like a halo around her head. And then he noticed to his amazement in her lap, there was the pearls. He went over to them, he kneeled down on his creaky old knees on the ground, and he looked at these pearls and he counted them. And there were 365 pearls. And one of them was a bit small and a bit crooked. Why, here are your pearls, the king said. Each and every one accounted for, even the small crooked one. Oh, he said, I see what's happened now. The silken thread that I threaded them on must have broken and seems it had been threaded by the royal hand, then you didn't deem it fit to put it onto another cord. But you should have told me, he said, and I would have threaded it onto a new one for you. But you did right, he said, because it would be unseemly for you to thread these pearls onto another cord, seems it had originally been done by the royal hand. But, he said, I will go and fetch another cord. And he went running up the stairs as fast as his ancient old bandy legs would allow, with guards running behind him as well. <clears throat> he went to his room, and he got a piece of silk, and he cut it 
to the right length. And then, leaving the guards where they were, he ran back down the stairs himself with the new silken thread to thread the pearl necklace on for the queen. But he was in such a hurry to do this, the stupid old fool with his big flat feet, he tripped up on the stairs and he fell down them head first and broke his stupid neck and died. Well, when he didn't come back, then the guards that were in the cell releasing the queen from her, her fetters, from her chains, thought they had better go and have a look and see where he was. And there they found his dead body lying on the stairs. And they smiled. Not in front of the queen, of course, but they looked at each other and winked and smiled, and they were happy. Well, the queen was, she was sad, and she shed tears for that horrible old king. Not because she missed him, but because she was sorry for him. She had hoped that her goodness may have had some influence over him, and that he would have become a better person before he died. But there was no sign of that. And the king was buried with great pomp and ceremony, of course, but it was not a sad occasion. In fact, all the people in the town, they all celebrated. And then, well, what to do now? Because they didn't have a king. And of course, he had been such an absolute terror to his own family that his own children had died. So there was no one to leave the kingdom to. So it was decided that the person who should rule after the king was the queen herself, Blanciflor. And then that kingdom changed. Oh, yes, it changed. The taxation was lowered. And also, there was always arms. There was always charity to give. There was always something for the poor and the needy who really needed it. They could go to the castle. And the queen would always give them some money. They would be welcomed with open arms. She listened to all of them, all their sad stories, and she wept for them. And she left, gave them some money that they could go and rebuild their broken lives. And she was the best ruler that that kingdom had ever had. She was wise and she was kind and she was just. And, you know, the local people always said, whenever there was times of need, they would say, never mind. I'm sure there is still one peril left on the Queen's necklace.